last week we focused on the tragedy of, of coming to Christ and then being lost again. And we're going to tie that ideal in with the studies that we'll do this evening. I invite your attention to three chapters from the Old Testament. Numbers chapter 35, and then Deuteronomy chapter 19, and then also Joshua chapter 20. Each of these chapters reveal to us an occurrence that God set up with the old nation of Israel. And we understand that now the old law has been nailed to the cross. Now we live in the time of Christ. But we can learn we can learn from what God set up in olden times to help us to appreciate more of what Jesus is to us today. So in Numbers 35, Deuteronomy 19, and Joshua 20, we run into the time when God set up the cities of refuge. The cities of refuge. Now somebody remind us why and what these cities were for as we get started. What about the cities of refuge? If you accidentally killed someone, the family still went eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. So you could fled to the city of refuge and stay there until the judge died, and then you could go free. He of young had to stay there. But if you were guilty, you was always judged. Okay. Cities of Refuge, Mike was explaining here, mainly set up for what we might call unintentional death or uh, accidental slayings. Okay? Um, the example given in Deuteronomy 19, verses 4, 5, and 6, is um, suppose two men were out in the forest and they went out to cut some wood and the axe, hand, axe head the axe head accidentally flew off its handle and hit the other fella and caused him to die. That would be an example of unintentional uh, manslaughter. Okay. So God through the law of Moses had no problem relating to his people what he wanted to do Wanted, what he wanted to have done with an outright murderer. They would just take that killer and before all the people and just stone him, kill him, and they would take care of business. But God also being a benevolent, and fair, and just God, he understood there would be some accidents that would happen. And he understood that when things like this happened, emotions would run high. And so he, he had, as they prepared... Okay, as God's people, remember they came out of Egypt. They wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. God is preparing them now in these books of Numbers and Deuteronomy uh, to enter into the, the land of Canaan. That's what the book of Joshua is, is about. As they're preparing, God said, now there's going to be a lot of cities. I'm allotting cities to the Levites and so forth, but I want six cities set up 
as cities of refuge. Three on one side of the Jordan and three on the other side. So um, three of the cities were Kadesh and Shechem and Hebron. And then on the other side, there was a place called Golan and then um, Ramah and then Bezer. Six cities of refuge. So these cities picture for us these cities um, foreshadow our refuge that we take in Jesus. Let's notice this passage. Hold your place back here in Numbers 35. But let's, let's quickly run over to Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews 6. And look down to about verse 18. And you can, you can mark these verses. And if you don't already have it in your references in your own Bible, you can write down next to Hebrews 6, verse um, 18. See this? So that by two unchangeable things, verse 18, Hebrews 6, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we Christians, we Christians, who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope that is set before us. So that's what we do when we come to Christ. We flee for for refuge. We're not surprised that the Old Testament speaks of Jesus and foreshadows many of these ideas about Jesus. The Lord Himself said, John 5.39, to the Jews, John 5.39, He said, you search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life, but these scriptures actually testify of me. And then in John 5, verse 46, he said, if you believe Moses, then you would believe me because he wrote of me. And so we're not surprised that these cities of refuge... Uh, point to our Lord Jesus. Jesus is everywhere in the Scriptures. The whole theme of the Bible is the salvation of man through Christ to the glory of God. That's not only the theme of the Bible, that ought to be the theme of our lives. Salvation of man through Christ to the glory of God. So it's not conjecture, we're not guessing. Okay. You see here the cities of refuge set up in the days of Moses and Joshua. And so then we see this reference to Hebrews 6. And so we're not guessing at this. This is pretty clear connection. I want us to notice in our class together some comparisons between the cities of refuge and the refuge we have in Christ. And we will move along here at a pretty steady pace, but I think this is going to be interesting uh, for all of us. Okay. Now let's first think about the comparison of the problem. The problem. Try to put yourself in that place of accidentally uh, killing somebody. This not only happened in that day, but it happens now. I remember when I was little, one of my classmates 
her dad was the main dentist in town. Everybody went to him. Very popular family. And he was picking her up at school one day and he, a little child jumped out in front of him. He hit the child and the child died. And everybody understood. As bad as that is, as bad as that is, that that, that kind of accident will happen. It carries with it a lot of emotion, sometimes some rage, definitely some grief, bitterness, uh, definitely uh, for either side, uh, worry, stress, okay, and some, a lot of sadness on both sides. So you can understand that pickle, that, that troublesome, troublesome time. Okay. For us, and here's the comparison. For us, it is sin. It is sin. Sin does that to all of us. It brings all the detriments of life. Sin is the cause of all problems in life. And when we sin, as we are all sinners, uh, we forfeit our right to live. Romans 6.23 says what? The wages of sin is what? Death. Wages. Now, now the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, same verse. But first we understand the wages of sin is death. And when we sin, and without turning to Jesus, when we sin, we put our soul in certain danger. Danger of eternal destruction. And so that was troublesome then with the accidental slaying. But also, it's trouble for us because of sin. That's the first uh, obvious comparison. Okay. Now, looking here in Numbers um, 35, you'll notice in verse 9. Verse 9. Okay. The Lord spoke to Moses, Numbers 35, verse 9. Speak to the people of Israel and say, When you cross the Jordan into the land of Canaan, then you shall select... Cities to be cities of refuge. Okay. Now turn over to, De to um, Deuteronomy now. Let's just do some comparing. Deuteronomy 19. You see from verses 1 uh, forward there that the discussion is about the cities of refuge. All right. Notice in verse 2, Leviticus 19, verse 2, you shall set apart, notice, set apart three cities for yourselves in the land that God has given you to possess. Okay. You say, well, I thought it was supposed to be six cities. Well, back in Deuteronomy 4... They've already talked about three of the six. Now he's talking about the three others here in Deuteronomy 19. But notice he says you shall select uh, these cities. And then looking over to Joshua for just a moment. Joshua chapter 20. Verse 
beginning in verse 1 and 2, say to the people of Israel, appoint the cities of refuge of which I spoke to you through uh, Moses. Okay, verses 1 and 2 of Joshua uh, 20. Set them apart. Select them. Okay. So this brings us to our next comparison. They were to set apart appointed cities to flee to for, for the manslayer, for the manslaughter. Okay. So in that way, for us, Jesus is our person and being in Christ is our place of refuge. The first comparison is the trouble, the problem. The second comparison is, notice how the cities were for refuge, but for us it would be Christ, being in Christ. Just as there were no other cities but these cities for refuge, so there's no other place for us to go than Jesus Christ. Hebrews 5, verses 8 and 9, Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered and being made perfect, he became... The author, the author of eternal salvation unto all those who obey him. What does John 14, verse 6 say? What does the Lord say in John 14, verse 6? I am what? I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Acts 4, verse 12. Peter says, there's no other name given among men under heaven whereby we must be saved other than this name of Jesus. In Acts 2 and 36, as Peter comes to the climax of his sermon, he says, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that this Jesus, whom you have crucified, God has made. God has made both Lord and Christ. God has made. God has, has created. God has selected. Okay? He has set aside. Just as, the, just as the cities of refuge were appointed and set aside, so the Son was appointed to be the refuge for us. Okay. Many passages that have to do with Jesus being the sole um, place, the sole person for our redemption. Can you think of any others? There are many. Let me share this one with you. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 2. Run over there to 1 Peter 2. As one we don't look at hardly as much sometimes. 1 Peter 2. I'll begin in verse... First uh, Peter 2, verse 4, As you come to Him, to Him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. Notice, Jesus is chosen and precious in the sight of God. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Verse 6, for it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen, precious. Whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. Now, 
this does not sit well with our society. Our society has become all-embracing, what people call pluralistic society, certainly politically correct. To say that Jesus is the only way would offend many, many people right now, but notwithstanding, guess what? Jesus is the only way. There's no other name under heaven whereby men can be saved other than uh, Jesus. There's no way to the Father. There's no way to heaven. There's no way to access the blessings and, and love of the Father than through Jesus. There's no other way to receive forgiveness. There's no way to be released from the guilt and the penalty of sin other, through, other than through Jesus. And so the first comparison would be the problem, and our problem is sin. The second is the appointed cities, and then Jesus has been appointed for us. But let's move on here. The third comparison, going back to Numbers uh, 35 with me right quick. Numbers 35. I want you to notice that these cities of refuge were available to everyone, to all people. Not just Israel. Not just Israel. Okay. This is interesting to me because in many ways Israel was an exclusive nation. Exclusive in the sense that only through this nation would, would Jesus come. This would be His nation He's coming through. Also exclusive in the sense that they were not to be like the other nations, especially being involved in the sins of the other nations. But some of the Hebrews over time, especially by the time you get to the the life of Jesus, that time in history, some of the Hebrews had, had gone so far as to be condescending toward other people. Gone so far to be full of smugness toward other peoples. Remember Jonah had a very difficult time taking God's message of salvation to the Ninevites. But nonetheless, look right here in Numbers 35. Begin in um, verse 15. These six cities shall be for refuge for the people of Israel. And, notice this, verse 15, Numbers 35 and for the stranger, and for the sojourner among them, that anyone that kills any person without intent may flee there. Notice that. Anyone of any person, sojourner, stranger, including those of Israel, but also including those sojourning, those traveling about, these cities of refuge were available to them as well. And so you know the comparison there that we're going to make with refuge in Christ. When Jesus comes and begins to talk about forgiveness being in Him, He gives us the Great Commission. I like Luke's account, don't you? Luke 24, 47 through about 48. But the account there has Jesus saying that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in My name among all nations, among all nations beginning in Jerusalem. Now, repentance 
and remission, those are very distinct and exclusive messages. We can't change the message ever. Ever and ever we can change the message. Repentance, Luke 24, 47, 46, 47. Repentance is man's part of salvation. Represents man's part of salvation. Remission of sins is what God does for us when we repent and are baptized. The message is exclusive, but the message and the blessings of the message is available to all, to everyone. Hebrews 2 verse 9 says, Jesus tasted death for every man. For every man. Titus chapter 2, 11 and 12 says, The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation potentially to every man, to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, but the grace of God has brought salvation. Potentially anyone, everyone. This was the great prophecy of Isaiah 2, verses uh, 2 and 3. A prophecy of the church. Where the mountain of the Lord's house will be established in those last days and all nations shall flow into it. The Lord's house is the church today. 1 Timothy 3 uh, verse 15, when Paul spoke to Timothy in 1 Timothy 3.15, he said that you may know how you ought to behave yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. So another comparison is it's available to all. To all. Not just Americans. Not just Southerners. But every single person on this earth, God wants in heaven. That's His desire. And so that's our next, that was our comparison there. When Numbers 35, 15, and 16, comparison is that the cities of refuge were available to everybody. Not just Israel. And also, that compares to the refuge that we can have in Jesus. Now let's go back to Numbers 35 and notice the next comparison. Chapter 35. This time looking down to about verse 22. Let's read the whole paragraph here. 22 to 29. But I think you'll see why we need to read the whole paragraph. 22 to 29. Numbers chapter uh, 35. Here we go. Getting into this conflict that might happen between two. Okay. Numbers 35, 22. But if he pushed him suddenly without enmity or hurled anything on him without lying in wait or used a stone that could cause death and without seeing him dropped it on him so that he died though he was not the enemy and did not seek his harm, then the congregation shall judge between the manslayer and the avenger of blood in accordance with these rules. And the congregation shall rescue the manslayer from the hand of the avenger of blood, and the congregation shall restore him to to his city of refuge to which he has fled. And he shall live in it until the death of the high priest who was an 
anointed with the holy oil. But at the manslayer, beginning in verse 26, let's pay close attention. But if the manslayer shall at any time go beyond the boundaries, boundaries of his city of refuge to which he fled, and the avenger of blood finds him outside the boundaries of his city of refuge, and the avenger of blood kills the manslayer, he shall not be guilty of blood. For he must remain in his city of refuge until the death of the high priest. But after the death of the high priest, the manslayer may return to the land of his possession. And these things shall be for statute and rule for you throughout your generations and all your dwelling places. And so what was the manslayer to do when he got to his city of refuge? He had to stay put. Stay put. That's an excellent definition of the word remain. Stay put. Has your mama ever told you to stay put? Okay. When she comes back, you better still be in that place. Stay put. Stay put. That's what this means. Okay. Now, this was supposed to transact, it was supposed to go along smoothly, and with the best of people, it should remain civil back in these days of Moses. But as you know, things don't always turn out the way they ought to turn out. As we mentioned before, there would be a lot of emotions tied up. There would be some bitterness, some rage. There would be more feelings than logic sometimes. And so a lot of times the avenger, the family member, uh, the one that got killed would be waiting, plotting, seeking revenge for many days, months, years. And so he must stay in that city. Must stay in that city. And so the obvious correlation for us is that we must stay in Christ. So that's our whatever number this is. Fourth comparison? This is our fourth comparison. Okay. As, the, as the manslayer must stay in the city, so we, having fled for refuge from our sins to find peace in Christ, we must abide in Christ. This is where we tied in to what we were discussing last week. We emphasize from one passage to another from Matthew, and we could have gone to Old Testament a lot, but from Matthew to Revelation, how that once you become a Christian, it is entirely possible to walk away from God and lose your soul again. Okay. And so, the emphasis here is to abide in that city and also to abide in Christ. Now, one of the books we used last week to make our emphasis was the book of Hebrews. Because after some years, after the cross and after the establishment of the church, probably along A.D. 65 or 70, is this letter of the Hebrews uh, written, some of the Christians were beginning to give up. They were beginning to say, well, Maybe the old law, parts of the old law is not so bad. Uh, maybe uh, we can start going back. Maybe we can start um, uh, doing parts of the, of the old religion. The book of Hebrews is written to absolutely deny that. Absolutely uh, persuade people to not give up. Don't give up your faith in Christ. In Hebrews 5.11, some have become dull of hearing and they had lost their, their uh, basic knowledge of the gospel 
and they were losing their faith. So when you come down here to Hebrews 6, verse 18, Paul brings up, or maybe Paul didn't write Hebrews, but I always assumed that he did. Jimmy Clark came here one time and absolutely convinced us that Paul was the writer of Hebrews. So um, when when he mentions in Hebrews 6.18 about fleeing for refuge, those with a Jewish background, that should have connected to them really fast. Really fast. And that should have bring up the memories and the knowledge of the Old Testament uh, situations. And, Paul, and the writer of Hebrews is trying to get them to see, look, we don't flee to the cities of refuge anymore. Our refuge is in Christ Jesus. One of John's favorite words is that word abide. Let's look at an example of that. Look over with me to uh, 1 John uh, chapter 2. 1 John 2. John has a lot of favorite words, but one of those was the word abide. Mike defined it for us. To stay put. I can't think of a better definition. To stay put. To stay put. Isn't it foolish? Isn't it... uh, I'm not trying to call somebody a fool like that, but I'm talking about... Isn't it um, just... The absolute opposite of all that's good to have salvation right here in the tip of your hands and to have followed him, been baptized, and then worshiping faithfully, and then to throw it all away. Throw it all away. So there's a great emphasis in the New Testament to stay put. Notice here in 1 John 2, I believe we're going to come down to about verse 24. 1 John 2, uh, 24. He says, Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. In other words, this apostolic teaching, the teaching you have received from us, let that stay in you. Don't give it up. Alright, let's keep reading. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that He has made to us, even eternal life. I've quoted that verse a thousand times, 1 John 2.25, just trying to make a reference to heaven. But notice what leads up to that verse. Abiding in what you've heard. Abiding in the teaching. If you abide in the teaching, then you will be abiding in the Father and in the Son. Okay, And that connects right down to that eternal life promise. We remember from 2 John verse 9. If anyone goes onward and abides not in the teaching of Christ, he has not God. But he that abides in the teaching, in the doctrine, has both the Father and the Son. We must continue. We must remain in the teaching. A great little study to do on your own. Would it be look up just look up this word abide. Or just read John's read John's um, letters and just look for that word. And it's just it's just a thrilling little study to do. We remember uh, Jesus as recorded by John in John fifteen as he talked about the vine and the branches. That that word is also 
used by Jesus because there's an emphasis here in John 15 about the branch abiding in the vine. That's where we, we receive, you know, the branch receives the minerals, the nutrients, and the, and the water it needs from the vine. We receive what we need for our strength and our growth uh, through Jesus Christ. We must abide. We must abide. We cannot, we must not, we cannot uh, turn away. So notice that comparison between of staying in the city, staying put in the city, and abiding in Christ. Now let's go back here to Numbers 35 and make another connection here, another correlation before our time runs out. Numbers 35, this time verse 32. This is quite interesting. The Bible was written about men to men. So not much has changed among the behavior of men from the dawning of time up till now. Solomon once said there's nothing new under the sun. So notice here verse 32 in regard to the setting up of these cities. Numbers 35 verse 32. You shall accept no ransom for him who has fled to his city of refuge, that he may return to dwell in the land before the death of the high priest. Now, they were to stay in the city until the death of the high priest. One point I needed to make back under the abiding aspect. Okay? They were to stay in the city of refuge until the death of their high priest. Who is our high priest today? Jesus. And the book of Hebrews mentions again and again, he is a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Okay. He ever lives, Hebrews 7.25, he ever lives to make intercession for us. So until we can breathe no more, we are never to, to leave Jesus Christ. We are to abide, abide, and abide. Now, here, Numbers 35-32, you can imagine what might happen. Okay, you've got this fellow, he's innocent. He just accidentally um, killed somebody and his family is, um, wants him back home. And one of the family members is quite wealthy. And perhaps he comes to one of the leaders of the city one of the city leaders of one of the cities of the refuge where his relative is, and I, he can say, he might say, "Well, I know what Moses said, but you know and I know that cousin so and so is completely innocent. Everybody knows it, and he needs to get back home to his family. So why don't you take this money here? And I've got more. Nobody will ever know. Just take this money. Take this ransom." Let's let him loose. Nobody will ever know any difference. Okay. And God is looking after that. God is ahead of that. God says, you shall accept no ransom, no amount of money whatsoever. He must stay in that city until the death of the high priest. Okay. Some wealthy people, not all wealthy people, but some wealthy people feel like they are entitled 
that the rules of life doesn't apply to them, that with their money and influence they can always get around this or that. They're accustomed to doing that, and so perhaps they would try that with one of the cities of refuge for someone that they, that's dear to them. So the correlation here is found in 1 Peter chapter 1, 18 and 19. Just as with the cities of refuge, no amount of money could secure the early release of the manslayer. So no amount of money can secure salvation in Christ. You remember what Peter says in 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. We have been redeemed not with corruptible things, but with what kind of corruptible things does he mention there? Such as silver and gold. Our redemption has not been brought to us by the traditions of our families or by silver and gold, but by what? Precious blood of Jesus. That's the only thing that can redeem a person. Regardless of whatever money is present or not present. And so that is the correlation uh, there. This is helpful for us to think about. There seems to be almost a worship of those who have money, even today. Doctors, athletes, actors politicians. Do the Bible principles apply to doctors and lawyers, politicians, athletes, coaches? Does it? It's almost as if as a society, not us, but as a society, we treat them as if they are some kind of select portion of society where um, the ideas of Jesus does not apply to them. That somehow, yeah, they sin, but uh, nobody ever talks to them about Jesus. And so it's good for us to um, let this soak in, this correlation soak in. So we see here, at least five here, the problem, our problem is sin, the select city, our select person, uh, is Christ. The city's refuge were available to everyone, so we have the great commission today through Jesus. We are, they were to abide in the city, we are to abide in Christ. And then the fifth correlation was and is that no amount of money could secure a release, so no amount of money can secure salvation um, here and eternity through uh, money. One other thought. When you look at um, these passages, and to get the full picture, you, you know, you need to read all, all these chapters in their context. But it's clear that God wanted these cities to be available, to be accessible. Easily accessible. Three on one side of the Jordan, three on the other. When you get to Deuteronomy 19, verse 3, it seems like he wants them to be well marked. He wants them divided out uh, and to be well marked. He, want, he doesn't want to be, there to be any interference uh, 
from someone getting to a city of refuge if they needed to get there. God wanted the innocent manslayer to make it to the city. And God wants all sinners to make it to Christ if that is their desire. So that would be our last correlation today. Tonight. God wants the way to Christ to be clearly marked. And there are several things we can do about this. First, we can not remain silent. Because there are many people who simply do not know the way into Christ. Our silence is as much a sin as any transgression that there is on earth. We must tell people about it. And then we must make sure that our, that our own personal example does not distract someone from finding Christ. Jesus talked about that in Matthew 18, verse 6. We won't have time to read about that. And then we need to make sure that how we teach and what we teach from Scripture is very distinct. It doesn't need to be vague. It needs to be distinct. It needs to be teaching that shows that it's possible to lose your soul. To show that there is a particular way God wants us to worship today. That there is salvation to be found in Christ, and it is a gift, but there are also conditions to receiving this gift. There's a way the Lord wants us to live. It's a holy way of living. And we must teach on these marks of distinction and make it clear to people that there is a way to Christ. It's a very direct way, very bold way, but it is a way. Sometimes it's not easy to be clear and distinct about what the Lord requires, especially in our day. But nonetheless, it is what God calls us to do and be. So as we consider reaching out to those who who were once in Christ, but now for whatever reason they left Jesus, one thing we can do is remind them that we can go to Jesus for refuge. We can talk to them about how, yes, life can be stormy. Life is difficult. Job 14.1 says, Man that is born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. We can talk to people about trouble and say the place of refuge is found in Christ. There's no other place like it. There's no other possible place to find the peace that we're looking for. Well, thank you so much for going through these these comparisons, these similarities, these contrasts, cities of refuge. God is a gracious God. He wants people to have the opportunity to do right, be right, and be with Him forever.